Hello and welcome to the next episode of Inner Leadership. Today is slightly different as we are going to reproduce a podcast by another podcaster who happens to be my 18-year-old daughter, Hannah Sheehy, and her podcast is called Lunch with Auntie. I think it's important and fits the theme of inner leadership because the interview she does is with Jacqueline Poe, one of the Singapore leaders in the fight against COVID-19. You can also find other podcasts by Hannah at her new website, lunchwithanti.com, the link of which I will put in the show notes. So sit back and enjoy a much better podcaster than I, and off we go. Hello and welcome to Lunch with Auntie. Lunch with Auntie is my podcast where I interview successful, brilliant individuals, mainly females, who have really become leaders in their fields and really ask the questions, what do you do and how did you get there? This episode, I have Jacqueline Poe, who was a government scholar and still works for the Singaporean Civil Service and we talk about everything from her life experiences to what they're doing to deal with this pandemic. Usually we go for lunch, but because of the current COVID-19 situation, we are having a Zoom lunch, so stay tuned. Welcome to the podcast. Um, Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Um, And because this is designed for mainly people my age, I think, you know, the first kind of questions I want to ask you about university and how you made the decision to leave Singapore and go to England and from what I know on your LinkedIn, which I did a little bit of checking off on, you went to Cambridge. um, And so how was that transition? How was that move? And how did you make that decision, really? Well, okay. Um, Well, I, I, this was the 1990s, I think. um, And I was quite keen on leaving Singapore for an education Mm -hmm. uh, because I thought there would be a lot more exposure, a lot more to learn uh, by going overseas for an education, uh, just like you, <laughs> yeah. actually, Hannah. Um, then you meet a lot of people you wouldn't otherwise get to meet. Um, I'd also taken a government scholarship uh, yes. at that point, um, and, uh, you know, I knew that I was, my heart, I had a heart for the public service, and I, did, I didn't know I wanted to come back and work in public service. Um, so. You know, this was really a good opportunity for me to kind of see the world a little bit before I came back. Uh, also, the university uh, I chose, which was uh, Oxford, actually. I was oh, bo- I went to both Oxford and Cambridge. Okay. Um, Impressive. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the course that I was doing was really of interest to me, particularly in the at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was politics, philosophy, and economics. Yes, um, which course. I think is still a very popular course. Massively in, in popular. Oxford. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, not many people, not many um, other universities actually uh, offered this uh, mm-hmm. combination at yes. the time. Um, and not many of them offered it uh, with the kind of tutorial support that came in the Oxbridge system. So I think, I don't know how many of your listeners know, but um, in most universities, uh, the classes are very lecture-based, so, yes. you know, 300 people come in and, and have a lecture with a, a good professor, and then after that, they sort of follow up, uh, maybe in smaller sessions, but mm-hmm. those sessions still can be fairly large, um, but in Oxford, it was, um, 
the attraction of having a one-on-one relationship with your tutor. So it yeah. is a one-on-one for every subject. So if you have okay. eight subjects, which you tend to, um, <laughs> you have eight one-on-one relationships um, with, the, with the professor. And very often the professor might be somebody who is um, very well-known in the field, could be a Nobel yeah. Prize winner, or oh, wow. somebody who's you know written a lot of really uh, interesting books that nobody's got to the end of. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and then some of them are sort of public intellectuals as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the depth of uh, conversation that you can have uh, on a one-to-one tutorial system is actually quite different. So even if you do spend no more than one or two hours with that tutor a week, it's, uh, I think the experience and the amount you learn is very different from spending the same amount of time in a very large lecture hall. There were lectures, of course, uh, but people didn't simply, they, they just weren't as engaging Yeah, um, no, for sure. as, you know, the tutorial uh, system. So was your heart yeah. always set on the, you know, civil service or, you know, public sector in Singapore? Is that always kind of where you were, you wanted to go? Or was that something you found out later on? Uh, I, because I had taken a scholarship and I knew I was coming back to work in the public sector, yes. um, I think I knew fairly early on that it was something that uh, appealed to me but many things appeal uh, to you over the course of time and sometimes people are not so sure at the point when they are 18 uh, what they really want to do Uh, for these people I always suggest that they do keep their options open Mm -hmm. and if they are really really don't even see themselves in any way a fit for the public sector um, they should think very hard about taking on a public sector scholarship even if the PSC scholarship is fairly prestigious not necessarily something that is for everyone if they don't actually intend uh, to be part of the public service uh, for the period, at least for the period of time uh, that the bond entails, which is, I think, eight years right now. Okay. Um, yeah, so so some people do leave at the end of their bond periods, but at least the, they generally do say that um, the, those six years were extremely helpful years to their own personal growth and um, to help them develop new skills, uh, networks, and an understanding of how the company works, and that they had contributed during that time. Mm-hmm. So I do meet people who are scholarship candidates because I, I also offered uh, various uh, sort of digital uh, economy-related scholarships in various jobs I've done. Uh, yes. And I, you know, if I really didn't feel that the person really wanted to do this for yes. another longer term, <laughs> as opposed to just getting the scholarship, I would kind of, you know, discourage them from proceeding with the process. Because it's obviously a lot of work and it's a lot of dedication. Um, to be well, honest. I think more than that, it's uh, depriving somebody else of a place. <laughs> yeah, no, that is very true. <laughs> they do take it. Yeah. yeah. And so you went back to school twice after your bachelor's degree, was it? Um, and you went to INSEAD. I went and back to school Stanford. three times. Three times, okay. Three times, yeah. So can you talk about like that transition and what kind of made you go, I want to go back to education? I think that um, I'm a big believer in lifelong learning. So mm-hmm. whether or not it's a formal education process or just trying to pick things up, um, I just love to take on sort of new skills, uh, challenge myself, uh, and I think that for your generation, I think you will be expecting to have at least three careers in your lifetime. Yeah. Uh, or maybe, you know, three, at least three jobs that are maybe adjacent, but uh, um, 
unique enough to be called a sort of career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one of them might not even exist today. <laughs> so that's a little uh, bit scary. You have to be prepared <laughs> because if you work, if you're going to work until you're seventy or sixty-seven. By the yeah. time, yeah, you go. By the time you're in the the peak of your career, you you probably end up realizing that it's maybe closer to seventy or beyond. Um, yeah. Then you you want to keep sharpening the saw and you want to keep growing uh, throughout that career. So I did a bachelor's in um, in Oxford. Then I went on to do a uh, master's in Cambridge, which was okay. actually part of the of the deal with the scholarship and yes. um, that was in international relations okay um, it was international a lot of international economic and political economy pieces at that time mm-hmm. which was the Asian financial crisis yes uh, yeah so I went back to school much later um, in, I think in the year 2008 okay so it was probably a decade more than a decade slightly more than a decade later which is actually a good time to go back to school yeah uh, because um, it was helpful to um, sort of get updated uh, on skills related to finance at that time, which I wanted to pursue. So I was in the Ministry of Finance, and I, you know, felt that I needed a bit of a boost to some yes. of my, you know, uh, actual uh, understanding of financial markets, um, private equity, mm-hmm. uh, VC. Um, uh, applied finance and, and 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 financial engineering. So. Um, at that time, I did. Well, I actually did, did two things. Uh, I actually did a course in the Singapore Management University in applied finance. Yes. And then I also, after that, went to INSEAD, uh, where I did an MBA. Um, mm-hmm. And during that time, I went to the INSEAD had a had an exchange with Wharton. Okay. So uh, yeah, that was that was. That's quite exciting because that was the financial crisis, the global yeah. financial crisis. Yeah. Yeah. So that was so interesting. Career in, the, in that I've always, yes, I've, I've always graduated in the midst of financial crisis. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> and I've always entered uh, during a period of great positivity oh. um, and optimism in the global economy, and I've always <laughs> left when things were really, really disastrous. <laughs> so for my inside MBA, um, yeah. All of us sort of went in um, in January of two thousand and eight, um, and somewhere in September two thousand and eight, I was in Pennsylvania. I was in uh, UPenn, yes, um, in Philadelphia, uh, mm-hmm. and I do recall uh, up to now the moment that Lehman actually collapsed, and my classmates had just been very proud of having done an entire summer internship with Lehman Brothers, and then oh wow, they had uh, they had an offers. And then they had no job because the bank collapsed. Oh my! Oh, that so must have been just a, such a, a period experience. of turmoil. <laughs> yeah, that must have been just an in- insane period. The biggest thing I'm getting out of this, and I always try to like put in these little snippets, is that you're just hungry for learning, and that's something I massively aspire to and think is so fantastic. Like for everyone listening at home, it's this like the impression I get is this absolute hunger to just learn more and more and like you earlier mentioned lifelong learning which is just to me absolutely incredible just going back to education um which i find is fantastic um now moving on a little bit like to a little bit later life um how was so you did gov tech right for quite a long period is that right you're in government tech yeah 
Mm. Um, um, I did. I was actually in uh, the Infocom Development Agency. Okay. Uh, authority at that. It was an authority at that stage, which is now um, IMDA. Okay. Uh, um, and GovTech, yeah. Yeah. So, how was your time there? Um, like, you know, you obviously went from finance to technology, which is just a completely <laughs> different sector. Like you said, it's almost a different career. Um, yeah. How was that transition? And, you know, was there something that you massively picked up from there? Yeah, I, I would say that that movement out of, after INSEAD, the, you know, the biggest period of skills growth for me was in the technology space. Yes. Um, and it was, yeah, it was something that I was just blessed to have been um, sort of selected to be at that place at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's very hard for you all to imagine right now, but if you kind of joined technology or digital uh, in the year 2013, uh, I mean, frankly, it was still called IT. And yeah, <laughs> yeah it wasn't sexy. I mean, it is now, but if please cast back when I joined, it really wasn't that sexy. Um, and it was extremely difficult to get uh, young people to do engineering. Oh, really? Uh, and to do computer science, yes. So when I first joined uh, okay. IDA, one of my jobs was to get, of course, more people to take up our Infocom scholarships yes. and, and to build up a, a sort of a new cadre of engineer engineering um, talent for Singapore. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and I thought that would be easy because I thought, because my mind was still locked in the dot-com boom era. But yes. uh, what I found uh, was that there had been a big following out in the sector yeah uh, and a lot of less interest was paid to um, technology uh, you know sort of after the dot-com bust um, mm-hmm. and some people got disillusioned so they didn't want their children to uh, take on jobs in computer science because that's where you know actually parents would tell me this you know uh, are you do you want my child to be IT help desk like, okay. and I said, no. <laughs> I'm not asking your child to be IT help desk as I said, the future is digital, and they had it no is. idea what I was talking about. And yeah. they, went, they said, no, my children need to be doctors and lawyers and bankers. Yeah. But this computer science thing, um, they were, you know, the, the, their impression was that they, there was a lot of uh, competition from outsourced partners yes. uh, in, say, mm-hmm. you know, some other countries that were cheaper. Yes. And so that this would affect the salaries that their children would be able to come out. And then that it would be, you know, a sort of not very prestigious and difficult job. Yeah. Um, it is very different now. I can, I can imagine. <laughs> Maybe as a result of some of the efforts taken during that time. But we tried to make um, technology a bit more um, something that young people want to do. So when I started having these talks, um, I do recall that um, enge- computer engineering, computer science, computer engineering... Uh, was uh, sort of the sort of bottom three least popular subjects in our tertiary institutions. Okay. Bottom three. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I think that's just so different. 2019, yeah. uh, computer science is actually number two. Yeah, no, because like, medicine. obviously I'm the, <laughs> I'm, I'm the one, like I just applied to university and all that and computer science and engineering are like way up there. Um, and yeah. You know, with all my friends here who are applying in November time, doing their A-levels, then that's such a big, what they're going into. Um, so, 
you've obviously seen Singapore change so much. Like I can even tell you when I come back every three months, Singapore is constantly changing, constantly improving. What is, where do you think we're going with it? More on like the tech side, where do you think Singapore is going to, you know, what's something that we can see in the next five years that you think GovTech yeah. is going to implement or whatever, what their oh, new name is. Well, I'm glad you're excited. Are you inter- do you want to be an engineer? Is that something you're interested in? Um, not massively, like not particularly. I love uh, international relations and politics and history. That's where yeah. my pas- personal passion <laughs> lies. Um, but I just, I do love to even from an economic point of view, kind of envision what the world's going to look like in five years. And I just think Singapore is such a place to do that, you know, um, because you really can see yeah. tangible change. Like, you know, even when I talk yeah. to my grandmother about what Singapore looked like in her day and my mum when she was growing up and then the Singapore I grew up in, they're worlds apart. Whereas, don't tell my dad, his town in Ireland hasn't changed that much. Um, <laughs> it has its charm. <laughs> yes, um, it's quaint. That has its charm. <laughs> you need that as well. We do try and conserve as much of, um, you know, what is valuable about our heritage and our past. Because yes. there was a period where Singapore also tried to, you know, they we built too fast and, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't do enough conservation or heritage work, enough regard to our own narrative as yes. a nation, narrative as a people, uh, and we're trying to rectify a lot of it there. But in terms of technology, it's a really exciting space. I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, you know, a lot of the things that we struggled with, like I said, struggled all the way from nobody wants to do this, um, nobody wants to adopt, nobody understands this, nobody wants to adopt this, oh uh, nobody, under- nobody understands what we're talking about. Um, uh, to actually a much, much better um, situation right now. So right now, I mean, you and I are talking on Zoom. Yeah. Um, a lot. There's been a lot more video conferencing, teleconferencing uh, going on. I think the future of work has changed in remarkable ways due to the COVID-19 uh, uh, crisis. I, I just think that it's uh, a lot of things that we've been trying to push for a long time. Suddenly everyone is doing because we have to. And yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's a good thing that the Singapore government started uh, some of the initiatives early mm-hmm. to be able to build a foundation in order to get this going, even though no one really knew that this was coming. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So that was the last uh, six, seven years um, putting in place. So it's really not quite easy to do something, that, well, something that we uh, called Smart Nation to mm-hmm. try and build the world's first Smart Nation. It yes. starts from the infrastructure layer. It has to do with putting in place the fiber broadband to homes. And this is easily, uh, you know, this is easily overlooked or you know, uh, underestimated as a as a quite a feat. Uh, but the fact that now that we can send everybody home, uh, not to do nothing, but to continue working. Yes. Is because <laughs> uh, 10 years ago, we made a decision and we put in funds to build the National Broadband Network. Uh, and uh, the commitment there was to put uh, high-speed fiber broadband into every single home. Yes. And uh, no other country has done that, uh, as far as I know. So yeah. uh, it, was a, it was a massive multi-year effort, um, and it had a lot of kinks, and it had a lot of um, you know, there were a lot of little issues that, you know, teething issues along the way, uh, but it was done, and that's why people currently have the high-speed broadband they have. Exactly, yeah. Um, that 
even the poorest or lowest income of our households um, won't have a difficulty simply plugging in a router mm-hmm. because it's already been installed in yes. every in, in every flat. So it's like planning um, for the future before you even know what the future really is. And yeah. you know, and we so kind of see that. Say, oh, it's not necessary. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think so now I think important. we've all learned that it's necessary <laughs> at this point in time. <laughs> I think we're all thinking yeah. so it's very, very necessary. <laughs> so tech, tech is something like you look for it and you don't think you need it, but then after that, you like if you do, if you haven't done it in time, you you when you need it, it's not going to be there. <laughs> so 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 the other things that the government put in in place um, that have come in a little handy at this moment uh, are like the national digital identity. Yes. Uh, Sing pass and my info. So everywhere you go now, it's like in very a lot of places. Like I went, you know, before the stadiums were closed, I went to run by myself. Yes. Um, and you know, I just did a little QR code scanning, and it was Sing pass, and I, all I did was show my face to my phone, and then they, then you know, they would know immediately that I happened to be there at that time, and I didn't have key in anything yes um so the national digital identity pay now which is the mm-hmm. national payments um digital payment system yeah which is really very simple and free for individuals to use mm-hmm. to pay each other electronically and then also to pay businesses and for businesses to pay each other and also for the government now uh to give out our transfers uh as a result of the three packages the unity resilience and solidarity packages we said, okay, we're going to give certain amounts of relief to individuals. Now, if we didn't have a digital system by which to do that, yes, then it would be very be different. Very different situation. <laughs> very different conversation we're having. No, and another and, uh, piece of infrastructure we put in place was the student learning space. Yes, so, I was so going to say. Students could, yeah, my sister has been on it. <laughs> my sister has been on it, and um, yeah, we're very lucky that, like, you know, her like she's just online now and it's actually absolutely incredible that like really like I know long-term infrastructure is important but the turnaround was so quick with you know she was suddenly in school as soon as the circuit breaker was implemented and the other thing I was really impressed with Singapore's tech side was the tracing capabilities and all the hard work because I obviously went through this uh the quarantine at home and I was called three times a day by really lovely people who were just so nice all the time and just the ability to trace which I thought was absolutely incredible um that i just you know after having left singapore taking some efficiency like that for granted i then went to countries and lived in countries where that efficiency can't be taken for granted and that's a very different system um and i just came back and was absolutely shocked that you know after my 14 days they were like yeah you're good and they were able to trace me my other friends who were on the plane um someone who got in contact with um someone else on the plane in a taxi and I just thought that you know what country could do that so that's my own personal like you know hit like you know such a Hail Mary is the tech system in Singapore and their efficiency with that so I suppose some of that's thank you to you um <laughs> and all your hard work I can't say that I'm responsible for any of that so. <laughs> but you did play a part um and just I know that you're insanely busy and I this time just can't be very easy for you um but just one more question on a bit of a lighter note uh, is there anything that you particularly enjoy to read we you talk about lifelong yeah. learning and you know where do you get your book recommendations and stuff like that it's really funny you know like nobody asked me this question um, oh, but really? I really have a lot to say about it <laughs> oh I would I would love to hear I'm such a reader reading, um 
I feel like I stopped reading 30 years ago and then I picked it up again about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, about a year and a half ago, I started reading again. But I didn't read, um, so, so I didn't read books uh, physically uh, with paper. Um, I got really hooked onto audiobooks. Okay. And I think the audiobook revolution is, is amazing. And I, and the quality of audiobooks these days, they're not flat. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're read by really high quality, um, you know, entertainment types who have really yes. good voices and can, can really carry the story. And they have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of sound effect now. <laughs> so it's, it's not, it's an immersive experience as opposed to somebody reading a book to you. Yes, no doubt. Um, so there's been a lot of progress there. So I've read, um, I'm proud to say that I think I've read about 62 books in the last year. Oh, that's incredible. That's more than one a week. <laughs> that's like, that was... Yeah, so I'm, I'm at like more than one a week. That's yeah. quite incredible. I'm that's the like... one a week. That's my aim. Um, and... Yeah, no, I, I've massively picked up audiobooks. And so any, like, number one, what was out of the 62 you read in the last year, do you have, like, a favorite that you can that jumps out in I your have mind? many, many favorites, yeah. <laughs> um, I started with a read, okay, so the, the, the texts that are a little more serious and very helpful in terms of business and learning and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, that, that, like, in that genre, there's a really good negotiation book by Chris Voss, um, called Never Split the Difference, okay, uh, which yeah. I highly recommend to anyone. Um, that I, lo- I love for like, just 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 because it's just, just hilarious, uh, Trevor Noah uh, did, did a really great um, audiobook recording of something called Born a Crime. Yes, uh, oh, I love that. Growing up in South Africa. Have you read yeah. that? I've listened to it. Ah, yeah, yeah I, I'm hooked on the audiobooks too because it's like productivity <laughs> maximization. You can go on a walk and listen to it and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So I'm so, 100% so actually, with you on yeah. that. I walk and I listen and I listen to it in my car and, and those sort of all the little free, little, little free moments. Like there's a lot of like empty space moments in your yes. day when you're in the lift and, or in the MRT or in the car, you know. And, and actually audiobooks can, can you know, help you sort of get more educated at the same time as as um and doing what you're doing i also like yeah. uh yuval noah hariri he's he did oh, sapiens yes so and sapiens was a very really sap- good audiobook uh transition yes yeah <laughs> yeah so no no that's fantastic that's like that's probably one of my favorite questions my dad always asks like why do you keep throwing that one in there but i'm just such a reader and i just love books and i just love to hear what like other people are reading and that's more interest for me but that's all my questions. So let me just... Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on today. Very well done. And that's a wrap for another episode of Lunch with Auntie. I hope you all enjoyed it, and especially if you got to this far in. Thank you so much to Auntie Jacqueline for being on. I absolutely loved our discussions, and I hope you guys did too. She is an absolute inspiration for me, as I hope she will be for you. You, If you want to find out more about her, go check out my website, Lunch with Auntie. I have left links to the stuff that she's done and articles written about her. She is an absolute legend that is all from me make sure you subscribe to the podcast on either spotify or apple music and thank you so much for listening